In a culture where we celebrate billionaires, live vicariously through online influencers, and get hammered day in and day out by so much content that we should be content, it is no wonder that I often feel like I'm an NPC in someone else's game. Hey, I'm Mike TV of the band Get Set Go, and this is Hesitation Cuts. Wait, 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 wait. Before we get up and running, I just wanted to reach out to all of my Patreon patrons to beseech you to please send me the names of songs of mine that have resonated with you. I don't have a quote for this episode, and I know that a handful of you have expressed interest but seem to be dragging your feet. Oh yeah, and if you don't know what Patreon's all about, just go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash get set go to find out what all of the hullabaloo is about. Okay, that said, on with the episode. Let's take the Wayback Machine to 2010, and I'm in Palm Desert at the local mall, the Palm Desert Town Center, and I'm sitting on a bench right in the center of the mall where I see a group of young teens, maybe 13, maybe 14 years old, walking by. And it's plain that they are all together, mostly because they're walking all grouped up. But unlike what I remember of my days as a young teen, they are not rambunctious or playful or even really sociable. I mean, they're not really socializing at all, at least not in a way I can detect because they are, every single one of them, staring at their phones. Walking in that very zombie-like fashion where the phone is held up right in front of your face and, and they're shambling slow enough to avoid colliding with objects in front of them based on their peripheral vision. And this to me, at the moment of seeing this, is very creepy. To see five or six kids walking by en masse with their faces glued to their phones like some multi-armed, many-legged, six-headed creature, like blind to the world as they silently perambulate through the mall. I mean, my first impression was like, oh my god, they're cyborgs. Their minds have left the realm of the physical and have joined the digital, and their bodies are now controlled by this quasi-sentient hive mind. And on one hand, it was a really bizarre thing to witness. Because when I was 13, I was a ball of ecstatic energy. You could not shut me up. But on the other hand, it also hinted at a world I didn't realize existed. Like, is this the future? Am I witnessing the future of human interaction? And that thought caused my brain to explode with wonder, but also fear and apprehensive concern. Because, you know, I'm a musician. And music is mostly listened to by young people. I mean, teens and young adults listen to more music than any other demographic. And once you get to my age and older, the people that listen to music daily drops off precipitously. And thus far in my music career, my music has resonated with audiences because it was A, catchy music that was built around earworms, and B, lyrically daring and exceptionally vulnerable. And because of that vulnerability, coupled with the sing-along melodies, it was able to transcend for some, regardless of age or country or gender. And again, I'm not a musicologist or an anthropologist, so I'm predicating my perspective based on audience reactions and emails I've received from my audience over the 20 plus years of doing this professionally. But if I can witness a group of kids walking by engaged in behavior that is so alien to me that it feels well, alien, then does that bode well for my ability to write songs that resonate across those same lines? And the weird thing is, we are so much more connected than we've ever been, right? I mean, we have the entire repository of human knowledge at our fingertips, in our back pockets, on our backpacks, or, or our purses. I have friends around the world I can contact regularly. If I need to communicate with them immediately, I can do it. We can have a video chat on my cell phone right now. We are growing more and more connected, yet somehow, seemingly, it feels less and less human, like the relationships are growing more numerous, yet less substantial. As if the actual deep conversations, the, the moments of deep, intense connection, have been scheduled for like the day after tomorrow. At least that's how it feels for me. 
I mean, it could just be my personal experience, but I always felt that I understood or could understand any human situation. That no matter what you threw at me, I could find the humanity in it. I could connect with it in a very deep blood and marrow way. But these kids, man, they threw me for a loop. I mean, my young teen years were filled with trying to understand girls, trying not to embarrass myself with my out of control enthusiasm for basically everything, and ultimately just trying to survive the pitfalls of adolescence. Certainly, it was not walking silently through, well, anything, because I was never silent. So contemplating these kids, man, what was I to do? I mean, how can I figure out a way to keep my music relevant to these kids when I don't even understand the way that they socialize? Is it only a matter of time before I'm consigned to the music of yesteryear? I mean, have I already been? And that's absurdly frightening to me. How do I remain relevant when there are human experiences, particularly growing up experiences, that potentially millions of kids are living through that I don't even have eyeballs on? That upon first encountering them, they feel alien and bizarre to me, like on a very visceral level. Like, is this what my grandparents felt when they, the first time they saw a mohawk or a thong bikini or heard death metal? Have they heard death metal? So I think about those kids and I think about the ideas of my audience and my potential audience and how their tastes and their desires and needs are always constantly changing and how every few months something new seems to come into vogue and suddenly trying to keep up trying to stay on top of all the newest and the latest and the shiniest, man, it suddenly feels just nigh impossible. We can't get any more connected until we run tiny cables from our brain stems. And we're growing so very disaffected. They're amused, so amused, we amuse them. There's just no getting over this There's just no single cure There's a hive mind of vapid-based stupidity And it's pounding down our doors Oh, the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs And they're quietly freaking me out Oh, the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs and they're quietly tearing things down The thing is, trying to figure out what other people want is exhausting. I, I have a hard enough time trying to figure out what I want. Sheesh. We can't get away, there's no getting out. There's no escape hatch other than shutting down. But we've got so many distractions. Pretty lights illuminate new attractions So just let go and be a part of the dumbing down of all great art Here's another brand new technology To replace your beating human heart Oh, the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs And they're quietly freaking me out the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs And they're quietly tearing things down The crazy thing is, technology has put my music into every single person's hands. Right now, my entire catalog lives in or just adjacent to your smartphone. So the question is, how do I get you to listen? Oh, the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs. 
And they're quietly freaking me out Oh, the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs And they're quietly tearing things down Oh, the kids, the kids, they have become cyborgs And they're quietly freaking me out Because we are spoiled for choice, because we have so many options, often we just choose what everyone else is choosing. I get it. I do the same thing with shows, with movies, with books. Why should I expect anyone to treat my music differently? So that's why I started this podcast, because so much thought goes into each song, every iota of skill that I've acquired through thousands of live shows and tens of thousands of hours of practice, every bit of it is poured into the music I make and the stories I tell. And even though I often feel like I'm an NPC in someone else's game, my intention is to leave a burning, fiery brand on this planet before I shuffle off this mortal coil. The question is, will my audience be there when it happens? Oh, the kids. The kids, they have become cyborgs And they're quietly tearing things down Hey, welcome to Hesitation Cuts Episode 6, the show where I, your intrepid host, take you on a journey deep into the fiery heart of a sun where we are burned to a crisp and then slowly reconstituted by applying gallons of aloe vera oil. On today's episode, we discuss what it means to feel like an NPC in someone else's game. A game where the rules are inexplicable, there is seemingly no road to advancement, and every day is a repeat of the last. When I first picked up the guitar way back in the early 90s, I had no idea that it was going to be the gateway drug that led to my addiction to music. Because back then it really wasn't. In fact, after learning a few open chords, I really didn't do a lot with the guitar for a couple years. I was just busy working at Universal. It was just a novel new hobby for me. But for the first time in my life, because I was working at Universal, I had money enough to go see live shows all of the live shows I wanted. And living in Los Angeles meant that every single band I loved came to town, often multiple times a year. And so I started catching more and more shows. In my life, I've seen Nirvana, Mudhoney, Oingo Boingo, Guided by Voices, Metallica, Dinosaur Jr., The Archers of Loaf, Pavement, Yola Tango, Bell Sebastian, The Afghan Wigs, Fishbone, Jane's Addiction, L7, Hole, The Pixies, PJ Harvey. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Huge bands, tiny bands, in big venues, in small venues, in little holes in the wall. I mean, scores and scores and scores of shows. And it's funny because the first show that really transformed the way I appreciated music, the show that taught me that music didn't need to be enjoyed just through your ears, was Nirvana with Sister Double Happiness and Hole at Iguanas in Tijuana. And that show, man, it was just beyond epic. It was frightening and simultaneously thrilling. Iguanas was a two-story venue, 
And I was on the second story with a bunch of my friends. So I had a great vantage point to watch everything that went down. And during Nirvana, we, we saw people leap from the second story into the crowd on the first floor. And the leaper and the people he collided with would just tumble to the floor and then the crowd would just swallow them up. I mean, people leapt from the second floor balcony onto the speaker stacks and started rocking them in a way that gave security conniption fits and also threatened the lives of everyone situated under the stacks, but no one other than security really seemed to care. It was fucking off the chain, rabid, foaming at the mouth chaos, and it was glorious. And there was a point in time while Nirvana was playing that the whole crowd, both floors, started to pogo just jumping up and down in unison to the music. And it was a transformative moment for me because at that moment, we weren't a few hundred individuals out to see Nirvana. We were one creature, one ecstatic, throbbing monster of furious love for the sounds that were coursing through us. And I felt at that moment like my DNA was being rewritten. Like whatever future was planned for me got tossed out the window and now I wanted to live in pursuit of this feeling to feel this connected to the music, to the crowd, to the magic. And once this feeling had been unlocked, it was always just one song away, whether it was at home, listening on my stereo, or at a rock show, or driving in the car. Hell, driving in the car, man, what a great place to listen to records. But regardless, once this feeling had been unlocked, I could always revisit it, but I wanted more. I didn't want to just be one of the spellbound. I wanted to be the spellcaster. I wanted to be the wizard. So I started writing songs. And my first songs were sort of strange. They contained a little bit of magic. They felt to me like they were pale shadows of what I had experienced over and over in the venues of Los Angeles. So I wrote and I kept writing. But the thing about making music, particularly when you're in a band, is that at some point in time, you need to get in front of audiences. And of course, when you imagine those audiences, you imagine them hearing what you hear in your music. And you imagine them listening to your lyrics and marveling at how clever they are. And you imagine them singing along by the second chorus. And your mind populates the crowd with an eager and receptive audience that is easily captivated by your spellcraft. <laughs> yeah, and, and the reality is anything but. Um, every band formed by unseasoned musicians has to learn this lesson. And the only way to learn it is by climbing on stage and doing it. And often you learn more by your failures than you do by the successes, which frankly for me seems to hold true with everything I've ever done. But those failures can grow very discouraging. And so many bands start to protect themselves, some with attitude, some by not playing as much or carefully curating where and how they play. Some bands band together with other like-minded bands, but every strategy has its strengths and every strategy has its weaknesses. But the most important thing in this process is to just be seen, to be heard and listened to, to play your music, see how the audience reacts to each song and each section of each song. And from those observations, you iterate and evolve and hopefully grow better. And it's a long, long, slow process. And when you lose a band member, or God forbid, a songwriter, 
you don't have to start completely over, but you do have to take a, quite a few steps back. And you just keep playing and you keep iterating. And when you have your audience, boy, do you cherish that. I mean, actually, I do. I cherish my audience, but maybe you don't. I think every performer deals with their audience differently, and I think every performer cultivates the audience they deserve. So if you're a shitheel, don't be surprised when shitheels show up. But for me, when I moved to Austin, I walked away from almost 20 years of building an audience and a following. And I walked away from relationships with venues and with record labels and music directors. And basically, I walked away from everyone. And I went to a place where I knew very few people and was stripped of all of my immediate support system. It was just me and the music and the struggle to be heard. So many faces that don't see me I've been so many places With so many faces I've gone unseen And I'm all alone And I'm on my own Screaming, I don't think it'll ever stop because no matter what I do, the yawning, gaping hole inside me that craves love and affection and that feeling of being special and important and valuable, it is just never satisfied. It is like a black hole devouring every particle and iota of interest that is paid to me. I know it's not healthy, but I also know that it drives my music. It is my dolorous wound and it is the source of my songs. So it is a never healing wound that I wear with pride. 
places, so many faces that don't see me. I've been so many places, with so many faces, I've gone unseen. And I'm all alone, and I'm on my so the need to be seen, to be heard, to be important to the people whose opinions I respect, to be thrown into the same bucket as the artists that I love, man, it is a never-ending and perpetual drive. And yet, as I get older, as I get further and further away from the apex of my band's influence and popularity, the likelihood that I will join the ranks of the bands I love feels further and further away. And I start to feel more and more like I'm just an NPC in someone else's game, you know? Like I'm just a footnote or an addendum that all of my life's work is just a Wikipedia entry that will someday be excised for lack of relevance. And that's hard, man, to feel like I was success adjacent, but by the very fabric of my character, that success wasn't able to be realized, that I live for nothing but the music and the magic that the music could create, and even so, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how deeply I cared, no matter how many shows I played or songs I wrote, it just wasn't enough and will never be enough because I don't have the capacity to make the music I do and also sell it to the world, that the music alone is not enough. That's been a really hard lesson to learn. And I don't know if I've really learned it yet. Most of me rails against it. Like, what's a better calling card to define a musician and explain what he's all about than the actual music he makes? But in this day and age, people don't have three minutes to listen to a song by every musician clamoring for their attention. Particularly when that music is arriving unattached to a TV show, or a video game, or a movie, or another bigger artist, or an Instagram reel, or a TikTok video. I mean, something that they trust that gives, that gives the nod. Like, what assurance they have that they won't be trading three minutes of their life that they'll never get back for an experience that is underwhelming, or even worse, unpleasant. And so they don't listen. Which makes perfect sense. It's exactly why I don't listen to the millions of songs clamoring for my attention. But Jesus, what, what do I do? Do I just accept my fate as an NPC, as a sideline player? And of course, the answer is no. Because my music is about the fire in your belly when you feel that you're just not going to take it. When the whole world is saying, sit the fuck down, son, you're done, you're over, but you won't sit down. My music is about the pain and the struggle and the love that keeps both of them at bay. So yes, I'm up against the ropes, and I'm flagging, and I'm beat, and I'm bruised, but I'm also still telling my story and sharing my songs and fighting the good fight. And maybe I don't survive. Maybe my music never achieves a wide enough audience that it outlasts me. Maybe I die with a whimper on my lips and a spark in my heart. Maybe, but I'm not gonna stop. I'm just not gonna, because I know something that most people don't. Or maybe they do, but lack the courage to face it. If you live every day for the things that bring you the most joy, you never waste a single day of your life. Stuck in the soundtrack of somebody else all alone All you wanna do is make your way home Stuck in a song with words you've already heard With melodies that warm but never quite burn Give us the fire Give us the fire Give us the fire For nothing at all Nothing at 
sound that shivers but never quite breaks Frozen in place with simply no room for mistakes Stuck with a heart that smolders but never quite glows Trapped with the soul, afraid of the truth that it knows Give us the fire Give us the fire, fire, fire Give us the fire Or nothing at all Or nothing at all you know this now that it's been made clear you you gotta deliver or you get the fuck out of here yes you to deliver or clear out of here Stuck in a soundtrack of somebody else there's no doubt All you gotta do is claw your way out, out, out Stuck in a song with words of perplexing confused Toss them away and use your own personal truths, truths, truths. Give us the fire. Give us the fire. Give us the fire. Or nothing at all. Give us the fire. Give us the fire, fire, fire. Give us the fire Or nothing at all Or nothing at all It's crazy because when I was in my early 20s, I was fearless and an extrovert and seriously full of myself. But I never had any doubt that I wasn't going to be a major mover and shaker on this planet. That by the power of my intellect and the charm of my humor and the drive of my love, I was going to destroy any obstacles in my way. And having that degree of confidence really does open doors for you in amazing ways. And for a long time, my life was pretty charmed. But once I hung my shingle on music, something changed. First, I wasn't that skilled at making music, so that positioned me as a second-class participant right at the gate. I always felt a little bit on my back foot musically when compared with my songwriting friends. Also, I realized pretty early on that honest and vulnerable music was the music that resonated the deepest with me and with most of the people I knew. It was the music that had the most staying power. So I had to shed large swaths of my overconfidence in order to find the true and honest vulnerability that I could then fashion into music. I had to be vulnerable, and that was a son of a bitch. And it was transformative. Again, music and my interactions with music changed me substantially. But it took a while to hew away all the hubris and know-it-allness and the desire to be the leader and always right. It took a while to not only see through other people's eyes, but to also feel through their hearts. You know, it took a while for me to stop seeing other people as NPCs. 
which even now is an impulse I have to contend with. And in this whole process of hewing away the parts of me that conflicted with the music I wanted to make, I made some terrible choices. I hurt a lot of people. I became a drug addict in search of a life that was authentic and genuine and honest. I made some serious missteps, and now I have to live with the consequences of those missteps. And sometimes living with those ghosts, with those regrets, get to be really difficult. The past is a place riddled with landmines. But at the same time, I can't really get overexcited about what's coming up because I now have 30 albums in stores, and I just don't think number 31 is going to pull me over the top. So yes, I've effectively boxed myself in. My greatest successes by the world's metrics are now a decade in the past, and my future looks sort of bleak. So how is it that I get up in the morning excited about going about my day? You know, me, the NPC in someone else's game, the extra in someone else's movie. How is it that I still get up excited? Because I do, every day. I wake up excited to get to work. And the secret is that I escape. I escape into the present, into the here and now. And just so long as I have a distraction, and music is a wonderful distraction, I don't need to worry about the things I can't change right now. And the things I can change, I just do them. And I do them one at a time, one small push at a time. In fact, every single time I think about starting a new podcast episode, I'm a bit overwhelmed because it involves recording five brand new album-worthy tracks and also writing the whole story that weaves all of the component bits together. But in the here and now, in the present, I don't have to tackle the entire thing. I just need to figure out the beats per minute for each track. And then after that, I record a guitar, just one, and then another one, but only one. And slowly but surely, the podcast takes shape, incrementally, bit by bit. And that works for everything I've ever done. I don't worry about the end product until I have enough of the project complete that it warrants worrying over. But even so, the fear never leaves me. The fear that what I'm doing, the music I make, the songs I write are just empty vessels devoid of the magic that I so desperately seek to create. And the reason why I still struggle is because my music just isn't good enough. That despite having spent nearly 30 years making music, that my life has been ill-spent. And when that dark cloud settles around me, all I can do is endure. And so, retreating to the present has allowed me to push through so much self-doubt. But even so, it's not a cure-all. Sometimes I just have to write about the struggle. I have to take the sting of what feels like imminent failure and put it outside of myself, wrapped up in song. Here I am and this is now And there's nothing that I don't want to say There's nothing I'm about, I'm feeling down Oh, I am down Here's another song I wrote and it's also very simple, it makes use of tired notes And it's nothing to write home about It's just another song that I sing I sing for you I don't know what to do with my life I don't know what to do with my life I don't know what to do with my life Breathe 
After having worked in a very tough business for over two decades, I do have a little wisdom to share. But there is no silver bullet that slays all the monsters, and the monsters are real, and the minutes do wound, but there are no NPCs. Just people who treat others as if they are. And I, for the life of me, do not want to be one of them. Here I am and this is now And I'm sitting in my prison cell As the hours are winding down and freaking out So here I am, almost 50 years old, making music for an ever-shrinking audience. My music, in my estimation, is just getting better, almost in direct inverse proportion to the size of my active audience. And I say active because I feel like my passive audience are those folks who listen to me through my TV placements and then don't explore any deeper. And I love them too. I certainly do. I don't want to give you any wrong impression. But if they're not interested in anything that hasn't been on television, then the lion's share of my music is off limits to them, and that's a hard nut to swallow. As of right now, there's between 30 and 50,000 people that listen to my music on streaming services each month. Of course, that number increases significantly if you include people's exposure through my television licenses. But alas, the streaming services pay so little for an individual stream of music, it's a wonder they pay anything at all. I mean, I have no voice, I have no advocates, I can't even afford an attorney, and if I could, I don't know what I'd ask that attorney to do. So, again, all of this adds to the feeling of being an NPC in somebody else's game. I am at the whims of whatever comes next, with very little agency other than what I choose to do. And I think that's the crux, right? What do I choose to do? And because we do have this very young, wild west of an internet, I can find my audience and connect with them one-on-one. -on -one. Hell, if I have to reach out single-handedly to people every day through whatever means necessary, I can do it. And I intend to just as soon as the first season of this podcast is complete, because right now this behemoth is gobbling up all of my bandwidth. But even if me reaching out to people one at a time, making a case for my music, my stories, and what I offer the world, even if that doesn't work, well, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. Like Luke of Cool Hand Luke says during the fight scene with Dragline, you're going to have to kill me. And yes, it's hard suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, but it's way more exciting than the alternative. Lots of people like to sing my songs. They just don't like to pay for them. It doesn't matter, I don't really mind. I just don't know how I'll get by I'm as broke as I've ever been I don't know how To make a dime Singing the songs that I write All I've got is a 
when you sing along I wish you could always sing along It makes it all seem so worthwhile When a new song makes you smile I love it when you smile up at me You know I don't care Oh, that I'm broke So long as you're there Oh, that I've got another stupid song So that's the episode. The idea that I am an NPC living in someone else's game will probably haunt me to the end of my days, but maybe that's because the rules feel arbitrary and stacked against me. And if that's the case, I don't have to play by them. So instead, I'm gonna choose to live life for the reasons I decide and live for the purpose for which I know in my heart of hearts I am on this earth, and that is music. And it is my genuine pleasure and privilege to be able to share it with you. So thank you for listening.